0: we
1: Welcome to chapel. Glad you're here. Welcome the Good Time Family Band. Welcome them. I'm glad you're in chapel this morning. It's a great week to be at Baylor. You know this week is different, right? Because it's... Thank you. Because it's homecoming. I hope you were in chapel Monday. Today... We're going to do something a little different, but it is no less worshipful. It's still a day to worship. It's still a day to come together and recognize Christ's work in our world, in our city, on our campus. But it is a special week to be here, and I want to talk to you about that for just a second. I also want to tell you that the Good Time Family Band, they they got together a year ago in this very week, during homecoming, and they're here with us today, but you need to hear me say, they're not just here to entertain us, although it will be entertaining, and they're not just here to, to create a little bit of fun and festivity on the stage, although that will happen as well. They literally are here to lead us in worship, and I want to explain that a bit. In a few minutes, they're going to play Amazing Grace, and we're going to put lyrics on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to actually sing that song uh, when they begin to, to play it. They literally are going to lead us in worship today with a different kind of music. You know, it's always been a common theme of Christianity to be connected with music. Music is simply representative of our life of faith. Jazz, unlike any other genre or style, seems to illustrate this work of faith, this work of Christ in our lives. Donald Miller made this popular with his book, Blue Like Jazz, in which he writes... I never liked jazz music because jazz just didn't seem to resolve. But one day I was outside of a theater in Portland and I saw a man playing the saxophone. I stood there for 15 minutes and I watched the man. He never opened his eyes. After that, I liked jazz music. You know, I used to also think that God just didn't seem to resolve and so I didn't like God. But that was before I really knew God. That was before this relationship with God happened. In some way, jazz affected his relationship with God. You know, the psalmist understands this as well, and I just want to talk to you about it just for a second. The psalmist understood this relationship with God, this understanding that while God came so that we might have life and have it to the fullest, that our lives, when lived in the presence of God, would still be full of pitfalls and trials and difficulties. The Bible calls these tribulations, you know, the psalms are, in fact, songs. You know this. They're, they're to be sung. They're to be played. Maybe you're wondering why I'm even talking about psalms and jazz on Homecoming Week. Well, the freedom of jazz is represented in the struggle of the psalms. The connection jazz has to the blues reminds us of the psalms of lament. The joy and festive nature of jazz can cause us to sing psalms. Both jazz and the psalms represent our life. Walter Brueggemann puts it like this. The psalms thus propose to speak about human experience in an honest, freeing way. One writer would say that the psalms are truly faith in the raw. If you read psalms and really read it well, you'll see the struggle of life represented there. They are as earthy as the crying tones of country music, as angry as punk, as anthemic as... Stadium rock is comforting as a lullaby, as soulful as the blues, and as raw and intricate as jazz. Yes, the Psalms represent the nature of our relationship with God, truth, and honesty. So, have you ever thought about this? If I'm sitting up here telling you about Psalms and, and how they relate to jazz, have you ever thought about how the Psalms end? I mean, if this book is so full of the real stuff of life, if this discussion here that we're having right now is about how good God is and how bad our life can really be, and if you read the Psalms and you see a lot of bad in there, the psalmist is struggling through life, then, then does the Psalms give us any resolution? Do we have a resolve there? Or are we just left to linger? Are we left on a cliff, hanging, waiting for a rescuer? In this case, we're not left to wonder. The Psalms do, in fact, resolve, they find rest, and we find our peace in the last psalm. Many of you know it well, Psalm 150. It simply reminds us that when all is said and done, whether you're so excited about a homecoming week full of fun activities, or maybe you are literally wondering if you could take another step this morning, then praise the Lord. Whether you just finished a test and you know you passed it, Or maybe you're so anxious this morning that you're looking at me right now thinking I'm really having a hard time breathing. Then in some way, praise the Lord. Let's consider that this morning as you read the bold and I, as always, will read the print in gray. Let's respond together. When we're driving down the road alone and singing at the top of our lungs with the radio, praise the Lord. When we're outside and see the wind brush through the trees like a harp, praise the Lord. When we look up and see clouds full of rain and feel the drops play percussion on our heads, praise the Lord. When we pick up an instrument that we don't know how to play and we begin to play anyway, praise the Lord. When we're walking down the hall to our next class and sense that the rhythm of our footsteps are marking time, praise the lord when we hear the marching band play that song we've heard a hundred times but this time we really listen praise the lord when the bells ring over pat and an ancient song begins to play softly in our minds awakening our spirit praise the lord when we allow our bodies to sway with the movement of a song and suddenly we realize that we're dancing praise the lord when we tap our pencil against our desk to create life in a silent space, praise the Lord. No matter if it's a blade of grass or cosmic dust, it shouts loudly, praise the Lord. Let all of life praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's continue our worship this morning. One, two, three, four, one.
0: As a professor, Dr. Alden Smith is not only recognized here as, at Baylor as a master teacher, and yes, that is the actual title, he is also recognized nationally, being the recipient of the 2004 American Philological Association's Award for Excellence in the Teaching of Classics. As an academic, he is a top tier Virgilian scholar, having already written two books on Virgil and working on another. And finally, as a mentor, He stands above many, boasting the record for directing the most honored senior theses and advising many of Baylor's finest students. However, these credentials are merely abstract shadows of the man Dr. Smith really is. As a freshman, I took Greek with Dr. Smith, and it was here that I began to get to know the man behind the credentials. He is a man who can bring a dead language to life, and as a result, not only bring me to love the Greek language, but also to love the classics as well. The man behind the credentials is also a thoughtful and committed Christian. Through attending Bible studies in his home, meeting with him outside of class, and being advised by Dr. Smith, I came to know not only an academic mentor, but a spiritual mentor as well. As he recalls his personal testimony for you this morning, I know that Dr. Smith will bring things to life for you all, just as he brought so many things to life for me. And now, hear these words from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. thanks be to God.
2: Good morning. I'd like to thank Stephen for that lovely introduction and Dean Burleson for the opportunity to come and talk to you today a little bit about um, my testimony, which is strange for me because I'm not a Baptist, and so um, I think in Baptist churches it's more common to give testimony than in my church, but um it's, it's, a, it's a neat opportunity for me, and I appreciate that. My story starts in, in 1991. It doesn't really start in 1991, <clears throat> but I picked 1991 because that was probably the year some of you guys were born. So you were zero when the story starts. Um, you were a baby, maybe, or maybe just about to be born. And um, I was an assistant professor at, uh, at Rutgers University at the time, <clears throat> and it was uh, springtime. And I, had been, I was traveling to Italy to give a lecture at the University of Pisa, and I hadn't been to Italy for quite some time. So I went in 1991 to uh, Rome on my way to Pisa, and I stopped there um, to work on my Italian for a couple of days since the lecture was in Italian, and I had just been kind of studying Italian for a few months, and I was a little nervous about that. So, when I was in Rome, kind of working on my Italian, just chatting with everyone I met, it was kind of annoying. Um, I would just say, Hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes? This is in Italian. They go, I guess so. So, um, anyway, uh, as I was there in Rome, I, I thought to myself, You know, I had become a Christian here in this city in the fall of 1979. And so I thought to myself, you know, I don't know the day I became a Christian. Well, actually, I do know the day I became a Christian. I, I was saved. The day I was saved was, uh, was Good Friday, 33 A.D. So I, I, I knew that date, right? Okay, that was a joke, but nobody laughed, all right? So, um, <laughs> but it's actually a true joke. That is the day that we are saved, is, is Good Friday, 33 um, A.D. But I knew, th- I knew that, but I didn't, I, I didn't know the day that I became a Christian, but I knew where. And I knew it was in Rome. It was in Rome in 1979, and I knew the exact street. I mean, I knew roughly where it was. So I thought I'd go back to where it was. I'd walk around Rome and find the place that I became a Christian in 1979. <clears throat> well, what happened in 1979 was simply this. I had been studying archaeology as an undergraduate in Rome uh, in a, in a, a, a place where we study archaeology there. Undergraduates can study archaeology, called the Intercollegiate Center for Classical Studies. And when I was there, I, uh, I uh, encountered some Christian uh, uh, young women, um, which was interesting to me. I mean, the young women were interesting to me because I was a, a young man. And so I wasn't you know, married or anything, so it was okay for me to be interested in the young women. So um, anyway, they were, they were good-looking, and they had a Bible study. So I thought, you know, gosh, I've never been to a Bible study, but I rarely get invited to go anywhere with, with good-looking young women. So... Um, I thought, I'll, I'll go to the Bible study, by golly. you know Why not? There are good-looking women there. So I went to a... Um, and if you're a good-looking woman, by the way, and I think probably I can't see you because of the lights, but I'm sure there are women out there somewhere. Um, if you're a good-looking woman, I encourage you to have Bible studies. Right? So, um, but, but seriously, I went to a Bible study. And if you're, if you're a guy, I'd encourage you to go. Right? So, um, But I went to this Bible study, and... Um, it was apparent to them right away that I hadn't been raised as a Christian. I, didn't, I had never read the Bible, and, you know, a lot, a lot of the kids there in the Bible study had grown up in Christian families or whatever, or were converts themselves. And one of them in particular invited me to have, like, a private Bible study with her so that I could learn more about the Bible. And, of course, she was good-looking, so I, what do you think I said? You know, so, um, gee, I can work it into my busy schedule. So, um... So, yeah, so she and I used to read the Gospel of John together, and, um, and we sort of started at the beginning and kind of worked through it. And anyway, I was reading uh, the Gospel of John with her, and we got to, like, Chapter 11, which is the raising of Lazarus. And it, and it seemed to me a, uh, a pivotal moment. I mean, I started really thinking about the claims that Christ was making on my life, and I, and I realized I needed to take a walk and sort of buy a Bible and sort this all out. I really didn't want to become a Christian. Because I, I didn't want to have any kind of rules put into my life. Um, I sensed that the people in the Bible study, you know, they lived a moral life, and I wasn't really diggy with the whole morality thing. So, um, but I, uh, uh, I drank a lot, right? So, anyway, uh, so, I mean, you're wondering what it was, right? So, um, anyway, so anyway I, was, uh, I was going to buy a Bible that day, and I walked um, to, I, I tried to find a, a, a place to buy an English Bible in Rome. And I, and I didn't speak Italian yet, obviously. So I, I, didn't, um, I couldn't find one except for in the Vatican, in the Vatican bookstore. So I, I thought, by golly, I'm going to go to the Vatican bookstore and buy a, an English Bible. So I did that. I went to the Vatican uh, bookstore, which is in Vatican City, right by St. Peter's Basilica, not far from there. You can actually just step out of the bookstore, and there's St. Peter's, boom, like that. So to get there, I walked down that big street, the big street that runs into St. Peter's Basilica. If you've never been there, you've probably seen pictures of it. And... Uh, and I bought the Bible and I was walking back out of the bookstore down the big wide street and, and, and I got to a certain place where I needed to turn the corner to catch a bus there's a bus stop at the end of the next street so I turned this corner and as I was walking down the street from the bookstore I felt myself struggling or I felt a struggle going on and I was asking myself all the questions you ask and I'm fighting all the questions you know, fighting with God saying I really don't want to be a Christian and then, then I turned the corner And when I turned the corner, I sensed that I could no longer fight. I I became a Christian. I knew that I believed, and I was truly sorry for my sins. And I walked down the next street recognizing um, why I needed to become a Christian, what what was wrong with my life, at least some of the things. right? I recognized some of these sins, and I went down that street, and I went through a big gate. And as I went through the big gate on that next street, uh, at the end of that street, I, I, uh, I felt this incredible desire, right when I went through the gate, to read the scriptures. And um, and I got on a bus and went back to a library and I spent the rest of the day not doing my homework but actually just reading the Bible. I mean, I read a lot of the Bible that day. It's amazing how much Bible you can read in a day if you take an entire day and read the Bible. You've heard about the Bible in one year. I did like the Bible in one day. All right, so um, it wasn't all the Bible, but I read a lot. I read Isaiah. That was cool. I remember just being blown away. All right, so anyway, that was the, the day. That was the walk. And that was the corner. And when I turned the corner, it was like I was reconciled to God. That's why I picked that passage for you a few minutes ago. Well, then let's go back to 1991. I went back to these exact places in 1991, and it had been a while. It was very nostalgic. I could remember where it was. I walked down the big street to the Vatican. And the only difference between 1991 and 1979, other than the fact I was a little bit older um, and I was married uh, and things like that, um, The big difference was I spoke Italian this time. I had had to learn Italian because I was giving this lecture in Pisa in Italian. So I I actually took note of the names of the streets, and and the street, the big street that runs into the uh, into St. Peter's Basilica is called Via della Conciliazione, the way of reconciliation. And that's why the title of this talk, such as it is, is the way of reconciliation. That's why we picked the Bible passage. It was called the way of reconciliation. Now, now let me issue a disclaimer at this point. For those of you who might be skeptical, and I don't blame you if you are, uh, I was once skeptical. Uh, the uh, the disclaimer is this: the names of the street in Vatican street names of Vatican cities in Vatican City are normally kind of religiously oriented. I mean, you don't have like uh, Broad Street or Satan Street or um, <coughs> not that you would have a Satan Street, but you know, I mean, you don't have like an anti-Christian you know street name. All right, so. Anyway, um, so anyway, I was walking down Via Della Conciliazione and I, and I realized, hey, this is so cool. The, the, the street that I was, I turned the corner, when I turned the corner off of the street, it was named Reconciliation Street. I thought that was kind of cool. And then I turned onto the way of the, the Via dei Penitencieri, the way of the repentant ones. And I remember thinking, wow, this is incredibly cool. I went from Reconciliation and I repented. And when I was repenting of my sins, I was on the way of repentance. And I remember thinking, that is so cool. It's so cool that when Dean Burleson heard me uh, tell a group of students about this last summer, he asked me to come here today. That's how cool it was. Uh, anyway, so I, I'm walking down the way of, re, of the repentant ones, and then I went to the, through this big gate. Remember the big gate I told you about? The big gate was, you may have already guessed it, La Porta del Santo Spirito, the the gate of the Holy Spirit. It was. It was after I went through the gate of the Holy Spirit that I was filled with this desire to to read the scriptures. And I spent a whole day in the library with me and the Bible, and, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was the Holy Spirit who was upon me, inspiring me to do the Bible in one day. So, um, you know, the funny thing is, 1991 was a long time later. A lot had happened. I'd married the girl from the Bible study, by the way, and by 1991, we had, um, we had four children. Well, one was in utero, right? So one was about to be born. So... <clears throat> And, um, and I made my first Italian joke in 1991, when the guy said, how come you have so many children? And I said, che l'acqua, it's the water. Right? So um, <laughs> it was funny. If you speak Italian, you just got that. Right? So, um, so that's what happened in 1991. But let me just tell you what, what I really think of this story. Because you know, I've, I've reflected on this story many times. You can imagine when something weird like that happens to you. First of all, I wanted to make sure that you know if, if something weird like that doesn't happen to you, that's fine. You weren't, you weren't saved in Rome on in, uh, November of 1979, right? I wasn't saved in November of 1979 either. That's when I became a Christian, but I was saved on, on, on uh, Good Friday in 33 AD, and that's, that's serious. That's when I was saved. So if, if you don't have a weird experience like me, that's fine because not everybody does. But everybody who has God in their life will have weird experiences, okay? Let me just say that. Um, here's the lessons I learned from the, <coughs> from the experience, one, if you have a Bible study, uh, if, if you don't have a Bible study, get one or make one, all right? So, um, and invite friends who are not Christians to come, because you just never know what impact that little Bible study could have on somebody's life. Um, if, if, if you're not a Christian, go to a Bible study. It's pretty cool. Um, you, you never know what's going to happen. Two, um, take a walk with God. Don't be afraid when you've got that weird feeling like you should go and spend some time with God and you should pray while you're walking. Not to do that. Do it. Because that's sometimes some of the best things happen then. You never know where it's going to lead. You know it's going to lead somewhere good. You don't know where it's going to lead. And then third, get ready for second and third and fourth miracles. Because, you know, that's what happened to me when I went back in 1991. Here I was really nervous because I had to go to Pisa in a few days and give this talk in Italian. I was just I was just really scared. I mean, you would be scared, too, if you had to, you know, learn Italian in four months and then give a lecture in Pisa in Italian. It was kind of scary. My um, <clears throat> Italian was on not too good, c'è l'acqua. It was not that funny, all right? So, um, but, uh, but I, uh, I was really, really encouraged by walking through that walk again, not because of the walk, but because of the place names on the walk. It was really an encouragement to me that God really was, that he had a sense of humor in a way, you know, that he's like a poet in a way, that he had, poetically constructed that conversion and the second miracle by going back, and many miracles, including children since then. So anyway, um, what I wanted to do is encourage you on those three points, you know, just, just remember that God, if you have God in your life, it's like having an elephant in your, in your apartment or your dormitory room. I mean, God's, first of all, big, okay, so he's much bigger than other well, I don't want to say animals, he's not an animal, but I mean, he's bigger than, you know, if you have a doggy in your apartment, you'll get in, you know, maybe in trouble with the landlord, but if you have an elephant in there, the, the landlord is going to be very surprised, right? So, um, second of all, elephants are, are not only large, but they do weird things. They have a trunk, and they pick up weird stuff with their trunk, and they'll just like move stuff around in your apartment, so, um, and put it wherever they want to, you know? And there's no reasoning with them either, by the way, uh, so... So um, g- having God in your life is like having an elephant in your, in your apartment. He- he'll do weird things, and he's really, really big. So anyway, um, <clears throat> that's where I want to close. But I, I want to thank you for-, for hearing me out on this. Thanks. Thanks.
1: What an incredible honor it is to be at a university where our faculty can talk about their faith. In an open environment like this, let's stand together and receive our benediction this morning. Receive this. Now may the God who loves you lead you on a walk, even this week, of reconciliation, redemption and salvation. Amen and amen. Have a great day.